We are here because we are dedicated to helping the entire CrossFit community. Determined to elevate coaches, box owners, athletes, and everything in between, we believe that this mission will begin right here, right now. While this time and this goal begins with you, our hope is that you take this fire ignited within you and weave it into your own life with the same unrelenting passion to give those you have the privilege of coming in contact with the best hour of their day. You started your business to help others. Somewhere along the way, you lost the capability of doing it on your own. Imagine how much different your business would be with an extra $10,000. Would you pay your rent? Would you buy new equipment? Would you pay your coaches more? Would you pay yourself? What if you could do that and donate to others? We started our business to help you. Finally, a, a payment solution for the micro gym space. We are proud to introduce you to WheelPay, a platform that allows you to both save money and be generous. With giving partners like the Phoenix, the Navy SEAL Foundation, the Green Beret Project, and other charitable organizations, you can trust that your donations will make a massive difference in the lives of others. Saving has never been easier. Giving has never been easier. Pay better. Do better. We'll pay. We've got a special guest host today. You guys have been asking for him. He's back. Potacuto, all the way from St. Augustine, owner of Drive Fitness. And we have a great topic for you, all about stance and grip. So, Todd, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. If you're, watching, back. The, if you're watching the YouTube video, you'll see the art behind Todd. Also, the art behind me. You can uh, yeah. You can support Otto Art on Instagram. Is it on Instagram yet? <laughs> it's nothing's nowhere. It's right here. It's these two places. This is it. <laughs> we're, we're gonna have to talk about how to promote your art business. But today we're talking stance, yeah. and, stance and grip. And I think I, I would love to hear you talk about this because we've talked about it at seminars. I just had a recent coach's development call where we were talking about how it's the lowest hanging fruit. It's kind of just cheap cues that you can give people to actually make some drastic improvement uh, in, the, in their movement and everything else about it. But will you give a little bit of insight into the conversation that we had where we were talking about taking someone wider and it had to do with angles and triangles and all that stuff? But you did a really good job explaining it. And I think the listeners will appreciate it. Yeah, well, I, like, like you said, I think stance and grip is the easiest thing for a coach to manage and to, you know, to see and to correct because the athlete's not moving at the point where they're, you know, we're just setting, setting up their stance and grip. And I think it has the biggest impact on their ability to actually execute the dynamic phase of the movement correctly, or at least set them up for success to do so. Um, and so I think even just thinking of the, the nine foundational movements of CrossFit, looking closer at the stance and grip, and as it relates to each individual, uh, makes, makes a big difference. Now, I think the thing that you were referencing, we were talking about a squat stance. Is that correct? Is that yeah. what you're 
referencing at the, the seminar where we went through that? Yes. Um, yeah, so as we all know, the, the standard squat stance is going to be a shoulder width stance for our heels with our toes slightly turned out. Now, I think the thing that I brought up was that we look at the stance and then that works for most people most of the time, but based on what we see them do movement wise, that's going to dictate whether they can or should be a little bit in or can or should be a little bit out. And kind of as you alluded to a little bit, I, I look at all my athletes pretty much just in, just in angles and it takes me back to like geometry and trigonometry, uh, which I enjoyed, which I guess makes it fun to, to, to watch people move and try to overlay those concepts that I learned there into their human movement. But uh, as you were relating to the squat and the stance position, if you think about the athletes like feet, what'll be stacked on top of their feet are going to be their knees as they squat essentially, right? They'll be tracking the toes, but on top of the knees, as they squat down, their hips are going to go back. And in order to stay balanced, depending on how far their hips go back, their chest will have some sort of, of forward lean. Now, obviously we want a more upright torso for the majority of our squats. So that's gonna make this more efficient, especially when we're doing anything beyond an air squat. Um, and so if we think of that and we, we look at those angles, we have the potential, like the closer the feet are or the longer the femurs are, the farther the hips are going to have to go back and the farther the hips go back, the farther the chest is going to come forward, which is going to make an immature squat um, and therefore probably a, a less efficient squat. So with an athlete that either is trying to squat too narrow, an athlete that has long femurs, an athlete that just has an immature squat in general by trying to take their feet out maybe a little bit wider than that shoulder width stance will allow for their hips not to go as far back. Um, which in turn won't force their chest to come forward as much to stay balanced and allow for a more upright squat, which ultimately will be a more efficient squat. So would you say most of the time, if you can get so, someone to go a little bit wider in their stance, it's going to improve their squat? I will say most of the time the the fault or the error that I see with athletes is they squat a little bit more narrow than they should be. I'll phrase it that way. So if, if you were to watch me coach a group of athletes more often than not, I'm probably widening their feet just a hair. Now in line with that, what you also have to cue and try to work on with those athletes is as the feet get a hair wider, their knees need to be where they're supposed to be. And those typically aren't in that proper place either. So cueing the athletes to keep their get their knees out and keep them out is going to allow for that more, more upright torso. Where do you think this idea of keeping a more narrow stance, toes pointed forward stems from in the CrossFit world? I think if you go by the letter of the law of what we talk about with the feet shoulder width, a lot of people just think that that's it. Hey, feet need to be shoulder width. And there's a little bit of interpretation between, you know, where shoulder width exactly is. And so some people might err on the inside of shoulders. Some people might err on the outside of shoulders. Some people might err right underneath the shoulders. Um, so I just think it's, you know, people are taking the information and just trying to apply it without really thinking beyond, well, what's the ultimate um, goal of what we're trying to accomplish with that. Now there's been different, you know, 
conversations that were had around toes forward or toes out and narrower or wider based on the, the torque that those positions are able to accomplish. But I think ultimately everybody's been in agreement that torque's less relevant if somebody isn't able to keep their chest upright or to maintain a neutral spine position if their knees aren't tracking their toes. So it's, I don't think that's the, the, the concern is that there's one side that dictates one thing or another. I just think there's a little bit of misinterpretation of exactly what shoulder width means or how it should be applied to each individual athlete. So what's your go-to way of teaching shoulder width to new people? Um, I'll help people figure out where their shoulders are at by maybe putting their thumbs on their shoulders or something like that. But my go-to thing, most part, is simply looking at athletes and where their feet are before they're going to move and doing that on nearly every rep. So it's like constantly scanning static positions and readjusting feet, not only before they start, but you and I both know that as soon as somebody, you know, say we're doing reps of called overhead squats and a specific warm up for class, as soon as I give them a break and let them take the bar down from over their head so I can explain or teach the next point. Well, as soon as I get them back into their setup, inevitably, they're going to go back to their, their position that they're, they're used to and the, the position they've got the habit in. So I have to reevaluate where their stance is at and either, you know, tell them nice job. They got it back to where I wanted it, or I need to move it back out to where potentially I, I had moved it before. You, you've traveled the world teaching the squat, your flow master. People are attached to their stance and grip though. People are really stuck with their, their stance and, and grip, and they don't want to necessarily make adjustments. What are some of the ways you combat that? You know, a lot of listeners will say, oh, I can see this, but I don't want to make any changes or they're, they're not going to listen to me. How do you, how do you deal with that? Um, well, for the, for the most part, it's like someone's not, someone's paying me to help them move better. Right. And so ultimately that's my goal is to help them move better and to explain a little bit why, um, or at the worst case scenario, if somebody kind of pushes back, I just say, humor me for a couple of reps. Let's, let's just try it for a few reps and see what happens. And typically the first response is, well, it feels weird. And I you know, will let them know that I expect it to feel weird because it's different. And, but then we can talk about you know, the position that they're in or, you know, show them the position that they're in and how it's more efficient and then usually get some buy-in from there. Um, but yeah, it's a challenging thing. I think so many times we as coaches get caught up in allowing the athlete to dictate what they tell me, what, what they want to tell us feels comfortable for them. And when I'm coaching, it's like, it's not an opinion-based thing. It's not the opinion of what feels good for you as <laughs> athlete now, now don't get me wrong I'm not looking for somebody to feel bad in a way to where it's like potential injury or something like that but it's based on what we see not based on what feels comfortable or doesn't feel comfortable you can feel comfortable and move like crap well that that's pretty irrelevant I'd rather you feel a little bit uncomfortable but move really really well yeah and I think it's it's important for you know if you're if you've been doing anything for an extended period of time i.e squatting in a certain stance, it's going to feel uncomfortable. Something that we always rely on is the, the points of performance don't lie. 
So somebody might right. say, okay, I like this stance. It's more narrow. I know you told me to go wider, but let me squat here. Well, we know that we need to see heels, knees, depth, arch, line of action. Most likely if someone's too narrow, like you've alluded to, it's the arch, it's their midline. They can't keep their torso upright. So cool, you wanna squat there and you can hit the points of performance, feel free. However, when you squat there, you're not hitting the points of performance. Right. Or even like you'll even have athletes that can hit the points of performance, right? Keep a neutral spine, but it's an immature squat. So it's like, yeah, you're not losing the arch in your back, but your chest is coming forward. So let's see how that plays when it comes to, you know, a thrust or an overhead squat. Maybe you challenge them to try one of those different movements um, with that new, new stance or new position and see what it feels with them there. Yeah, and I think that's important. I think just a important piece to, to try is, like you said, humor me. Give me a try here. Like, give me two reps here. See how it feels. If you don't like it, you can go back to what you're doing. But I believe this will be a little bit better for you. You'll be moving more efficiently, and you'll you'll feel better. Um, talk to me about tight ankles. Everybody thinks they have tight ankles. What percentage of people have tight ankles and what percentage of people just need to switch their squat stands? Well, let me tell you this, that the, the wider stance makes up for a lack of the, the ankle range of motion, right? It's yeah. like, if I'm going to squat narrow, I better have a ton of range of motion in my ankles, which will allow for me to get to that position where I can have my torso upright. So if you want to tell me that your ankles are tight, um, or we see that, then that's definitely an athlete that, that needs to be a little bit wider with their stance and also needs to toe out a little bit more just because they don't have that, that flexibility in their ankle to, to, to get in the position that they need to. And we're buying some space. It's just like somebody with tight shoulders and we widen their grip on the bar so we can get the bar into the overhead position. We're buying a little bit of space by adjusting the, the stance a little bit. So you know, I, I would definitely say that I'm one of the culprits or one of the people that have tight ankles. And so I squat a little bit wider and spend a lot of time practicing being in the bottom of my squats so I can work on my ankle flexibility, which has gotten somewhat better, but it's still not great. Um, but it doesn't mean that that's the excuse for having a poor squat. What, what do you think is the best drill to improve that? Is it just sitting at the bottom of your squat for... 10, 15 minutes a day? Well, that's extremely valuable, right? I know you've talked about that and you started doing that for a little while, doing it for any amount of time, a couple of minutes. I've found that like a, like a weighted Cossack squat, so I, we call almost side lunge or essentially will help my, loosen up my ankles and have helped them a ton. Um, I typically do it holding like a 10 pound plate in front of me kind of as a goblet squat um because it'll allow me to actually sit down there and i know how mind-blowing that would be if i was to show that to you jay because i remember when you first learned about a goblet squat um but uh that the those two things have worked pretty decent for me but it's just like anything else you want to get better at your squat you want to get in better positions you need to spend more time doing that exact thing do you think too many people use mobility as a crutch like oh i need to get a band out or I need to do this, you know, uh, banded distraction when in reality, 
A, you just need to focus on your movement and try to move better. But B, in order to do that, again, spend time in these uncomfortable positions. People love like a banded hip distraction because I can slap a band on the rig, look like I'm doing something, talk to my buddy, check Instagram, when in reality, doing a goblet six squat or sitting at the bottom is way more uncomfortable, but probably yields a better result. Yeah, I mean, we hear that all the time and I, I see it repeatedly, especially when we're at level ones or level twos working with PVC pipes. It's always like punted to, well, I've got a mobility issue. I don't have the mobility for that position. And then magically, one of us trainers that have some experience coaching athletes into these positions get everybody or that person that said they have a mobility issue into that position. And then it becomes, you know, pretty apparent that it's more of an effort issue. 90, I would say eight or 9% of the time, I see it more as an effort issue than a, than a mobility issue. Now you will run across people that have injuries or things like that, or it's uncomfortable and people are tight, but ultimately we can still get them into the right position. They have to work their ass off to get there. Um, but it's that same sort of effort that's going to loosen them up or give them quote unquote more mobility in that position. If they're willing to, to, to put in that kind of effort and work that hard. Yeah, I think I agree with you. You know, I have that conversation a lot where, oh no, I'm tight. Yeah, you are a little tight, but you can work harder somewhere along. This wasn't the case in 2007, eight and nine. I, I believe you know, if you really want well, to point, we didn't have the, what's that? We didn't have the what? Go ahead. No, I was I just going to say, we didn't have the word mobility before 2009. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can pinpoint a lot. And of I think, and I think right? right. Which has brought a lot of great stuff to us, but I don't think he disagrees with anything that we're saying here that you've got to work hard to be in positions, right? Um, and all of that other stuff is valuable and there's a time and place for it, but that's not the sole reason that you can't get into the position that you're trying to get into. So now go ahead. Well, you're, you're, you have a box and you coach the same people. And I know a lot of the people listening have a similar experience, but they're not, uh, at the same level you are. Right. So I think a lot of it is, you know, you have the confidence, your members believe in you and trust in you. And for some of the people listening, they're newer coaches. Uh, you, maybe they don't have the confidence in coaching it. What are some What are some ways that you can get the members to buy in? Like no, like you said, hey, humor me. But but what are some other ways that we can accomplish that? I think it's like anything else. Like you're only going to gain buy in and confidence from somebody once you get to know them and build a rapport and a relationship. So, you know, if you're a newer coach at an established gym with a bunch of athletes that have been doing this for a little while before you come in and try to change everything they've been doing, getting to know them, earning and earning some credibility and gaining their confidence by one, knowing what you're talking about, getting to know them a little bit, getting to understand kind of why they're in the lend to discussions around potentially um you know a significant amount of time i also think kind of your approach to doing this stuff if you're running through a class and you're quickly going through cues that are just simple and easy to follow hey jay widen your stance a little bit 
hey, Susie, take your hands out a little bit wider. Hey, Jimmy, bring your feet in. Like there's less time for people to have a wholesale discussion about it. And it just is a little thing that can be done quickly, which makes a big difference. So a lot of it has to do with the way that you kind of approach those corrections you need to make. And, and too many times, I think I see a lot of us as coaches having full-on conversations of, hey, Jay, I want your feet to be a little bit wider because blah, 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 blah. And then I have all these this long conversation with you. And a lot of times I see that the athlete feels like they're being criticized when if I just say, hey, Jay, wipe your feet a hair and move on and everybody else in class gets that same sort of cue, well, then they don't feel as isolated or as criticized or as, you know, pointed out as being doing something wrong they're just getting a little bit of feedback from you which ultimately helps them to move better as they go right it sounds like we almost put so much of an emphasis on it that we forget if someone were rounding their back in the deadlift you would quickly say chest up we're telling someone just hey take your feet a little wider doesn't have to be a big deal unless you make it a big deal yeah i, I completely agree with that so the same going overhead or whenever we have a barbell, the stance and the squat is grip on the bar. And the, the equivalent of, you know, I have tight ankles is I have tight shoulders. So talk to me about, we've talked about stance, let's talk about grip. Yeah, so you'll, I'll tell you this, for 90% of the athletes that I see pick up a barbell, um, typically grab the barbell for whatever reason right where the gnarling the rough part of the bar meets the smooth part of the bar and for you know 80 for 90 percent of those 90 percent of athletes that is a grip that is way too narrow for them to actually be able to get the bar into the position they need to also to be able to navigate their face and also to be able to, to execute the proper timing when we've got a more dynamic grip so i think an easy starting point when we're grabbing a barbell is, is going at least a thumb's length away from the smooth part of the bar. Now, clearly we teach it as we want it to your hands outside of your shoulders. Um, and that's a good place to start with a PVC pipe where typically there's no like distance markers or reference points because it's just a blank empty PVC pipe, but grabbing a barbell and taking your, your hands at least a thumb's length away from the smooth part of the bar is going to clearly get your hands outside of your shoulders it's going to put you in a position to where you'll be able to navigate your face if you're trying to press the bar overhead and you'll be able to execute the proper timing if you're doing something like a thruster or a push press. So just as often as I'm asking somebody to inch their feet out a little bit wider, I'm also asking somebody to grab the bar a thumb's length away from the smooth part of the bar. Um, and at my gym and when I coach, that's just what I, as soon as I tell somebody to pick up the bar, I tell them exactly how to do it. And I do it every single time. So I don't, you know, I allow little up to interpretation. Yeah, I think again, it's, it's a low hanging fruit for so many people, especially, you know, oftentimes in the overhead position, we just see that overextension, which people forget is the loss of midline. You're overextended, right. I think, there's, there's more risk of danger there than there is inflection. Typically inflection, you miss a lift, you drop a bar, et cetera. You can overextend and still have a successful lift, which puts your back in a compromised position. Taking your hands wider almost always fixes that. 
at least gives you a shot. I think there's a lot of like motor control and also like just body awareness that you need to teach somebody how to get into a, uh, you know, a, a neutral spine position overhead and avoid that overextension. But the hands being where they are, you know, thumbs length away from that smooth part of the bar at least gives them the space necessary for a couple cues to tighten their abs or pull the ribs down or squeeze their glutes should allow them to avoid that the position, the overextended position you talked about. So what are you looking for? If someone's listening, like, okay, I want to address this in my athletes. What are some of the things you're looking for as far as grip goes? Obviously it's movement dependent. So anytime you're going overhead in your, in your typical press grip, what are you looking for? Well, like I said, I'm, I'm looking for uh, where I'm starting at with that one with the barbell is a thumb's length away from the smooth part of the bar. So that's a pretty significant amount outside of the smooth part of the bar. And then from there, I'm looking at their hands. The bar should be resting fully in their hand. I shouldn't, it shouldn't look like their hands are rolled inside or outside and the bars potentially only in their fingertips. If I notice that the bar, the bar is like resting in the palm of their hand and their, their wrist and hand is uh, looking pretty neutral, then I, you know, go downstream a little bit more and kind of look at the angle between their, their forearm and upper arm right at the elbows. If the elbows are kind of splayed out and the, the forearm is more in, that's a pretty good indication that somebody's hands are probably still a little bit too close and we need to make that adjustment to widen them out just a little bit. Now, what about in a movement like the overhead squat or the snatch? Because we talk about stance and grip. We have two different stances, right? Hip width, shoulder width, depending on what we're doing. And we have two different grips, shoulder width or, or wider for things like the snatch and the overhead squat, which we go wider really to, to accommodate that overhead position. But what are you looking for right. in someone's overhead squat or their snatch? When it, when it comes to that, that's, you know, if I've got a PVC pipe in our hand, it's the position that we're able to do a pass through with. If we're grabbing a barbell, there's typically two cuts in the gnarling on the barbell, right? There's two little circles there. Um, for most people where I start is on the, like their hands just on the outside. So out of the two cuts, they want to be the, the second cut farthest away from the inner smooth part of the bar. I'll call it that. Um, and then from there, that one, I think there's a little bit more um, variability based on what they see. That's one where it's like, I'm going to watch them squat. And then that's going to dictate where I take their hands from there. So it's, you know, this is my go-to starting point. And then let me watch a movement and that'll dictate what happens from there. Yeah, I think. Now I will tell you that just, just with the overhead squat, I will tell you that the the better your squat is on the lower half of this thing, which goes back to our com earlier conversation about where their feet are to get their chest as vertical as possible and get their squat as mature as possible, um, gives them the ability to, to have a better overhead position. If I've got somebody that's got a, an incredibly immature squat and their chest is diving forward and their shoulders are not terribly flexible well to get the bar back into the frontal plane we're going to probably have to go even wider with their hands which in that scenario is not always ideal but but it is necessary to actually complete the lift so um yes looking at the grips important but making sure that the stance is appropriate is going to make a big difference as well 
Yeah, you can adjust the grip so wide that the task at hand is being able to be, be done and accomplished, but it's also potentially risky on someone's wrists or for someone with an immature squat, they have to pull that bar so far back to keep it over the middle of their foot, but they're not supporting the load with the musculature anymore or, or with the skeletal system, only the muscles of their shoulders, really. Yeah. So for, for both, dance and grip, give the listeners just a few tips that you would use to improve their, their eye as well as their coaching for the members of their box. Yeah, so I think I mean I think it goes back to the the things we've touched on briefly with with the stance stance to where the the feet are definitely shoulder. Watch when somebody moves and see where their torso is at. If you notice an immature torso, try a little bit wider stance and get people to press their knees out hard and see if that helps get their chest upright. With the grip, at a minimum, with like our most of our movements, our pressing movements, all of that stuff. Um, start with that thumbs length away from the smooth part of the bar grip. Most of your athletes are probably going to try to grab the bar right where the, the gnarling or the rough part meets the smooth part and widen it out there. Um, now I see the same kind of same issue when it comes to the, to the deadlift, but it's typically kind of an opposite fashion. Typically with somebody trying to deadlift, what I notice is that the, uh, the stance is a little bit too wide and potentially the hands are a little bit too narrow. So in that scenario, making sure that we bring the feet in and getting them uh, below the hips and then taking that same thumbs length away from the smooth part of the bar grip on the barbell. And then as they get down in their setup position, give them the freedom to push their knees out so they're not tracking in and then also make sure that those knees are kind of away from the, the arms and not interfering there. I see too many people that are wider with their feet, more narrow with their hands which causes their knees to cave in or causes their arms and legs to interfere with each other, which makes it hard to, to, you know, be efficient with that movement as well. Yeah. I find that people are less attached to their deadlift setup than they are to their squats. Right. They're, they're more willing to adjust that. But when it comes to their squat, they seem to be really attached to, no, this is where I keep my feet. Yeah, and I, I think potentially it's just because you're moving through a greater range of motion. So your body has the ability to feel more things, right? With the deadlift, you're hinged over, you stand up. It's like, all right, bring my feet in really doesn't adjust anything. Well, in the squat, if I move my feet out or I move them in or I do something there and then I go from standing to a fold up stain or a lot of different moving parts there. And there's going to be a lot of things that feel completely different um, once you start to make those adjustments. So I think more than anything, that's probably it. People, people don't like change. You know that Jay. I don't um, like change. I people don't like, like, change. like where they're comfortable and what they're used to doing. And <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but so, with that being said, uh, it's just, it, it's, it's really true. A lot of what you pointed out earlier, you know, for me in improving my squat, it's, I spend not as much time as I used to, but I try to spend time every day just sitting at the bottom of my squat. You know, there's, but there was a period of time where I was spending 10 or 15 minutes a day. And, there, and prior to that, where I couldn't do 30 seconds, you know, now if I had to, I can do 10 or 15 minutes unbroken. Oh. It's, not, it's not comfortable. I feel it, but it's changed things. And I think a big lesson for people listening is 
too often I'll watch coaches and they're like, chest up, this and that. And it's like, yes, their chest is down, but understand why their chest is down. And, you know, we talk often about triage. And when we think about triage, we think, oh, it's, you know, loss of midline. Yeah. But yelling chest up is not improving it. Taking their stance wider is probably what's going to improve it. So think triage, but think about often what's causing something, not just what's happening. Yeah, couldn't agree more. It's like, I think step one, as you're, as you're starting to develop your eye as a newer coach, it's like, all right, let me understand what the points of performance are and let me understand the positions of what they look like when performed well or not performed correctly or incorrectly. But then from there, the next layer is like you just said, is like now when I identify a flaw and I fault, can I uncover why that's happening? Not just the back's rounding. Well, why is the back rounding? Is it just like you said, because the chest is coming forward or is it because they don't have enough space to get their chest upright? Is it because their knees aren't pressing out hard enough? What, what's the why behind this thing? Yeah. I love it. Stance and grip. It's, it, it really is. If you're coaching, next time you're coaching, look around the room, think about who can I adjust? What, you know, depending movement based, you know, obviously squatting most likely a little wider, going overhead, probably taking the grip out a little more. And un, would you say, last question, most often it has, it has to do with their midline, right? When they're overhead, they're gonna be overextended. When they're too narrow in their squat stance, they're gonna have an immature squat. So not always, but typically when something's going wrong with their midline, it can be addressed with their stance or grip. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But the other thing that I'll, I'll take is with the narrow grip on the barbell, that leads so often to the bar traveling around somebody's face or somebody pressing early, especially when it comes to like a push press or a, or a thruster. So I would say, yeah, if you see something happening to the torso, like you just mentioned, the loss of midline in either direction, that's a good indication the stance or grip ain't right. Or if you're watching somebody press or push press and you're watching that bar go out around their face or they're pressing early every time, check that, check the, check the grip again as well because those are two telltale signs of it as well. Good stuff, Todd. For those of you listening, easy coaching right there, low-hanging fruit that's going to make you look like a ninja next time you're coaching. So thanks, Todd. Very informative. Stance and grip. Make sure you're looking at it. Take advantage of the static positions, like Todd said. For you newer coaches, the dynamic portion of the movement is what's hard to see but you see all of this in the static position and you can spend more time queuing and you can get to a lot more people during those static positions. Good stuff, Todd. Thank you. Thanks, Jay. Yep. So you never miss an episode of the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and on all major podcasting platforms at best hour of their day. Thank you so much for tuning in and for being a part of the best hour of our day. See you next time.